Hi, this is my uh, first show with uh, Manufacturing Talk Radio. Uh, they asked me to host a show about the the MEP system. Uh, that's the Manufacturing Extension Partnership. It, it's uh, part of NIST, which is the National Institute of Standard Technologies. Uh, none of us of the 51 centers across the nation and Puerto Rico, um, none of us are government entities, but uh, we have all have the same mission. And that mission is to uh, work with small and mid-sized companies in any way, shape or form. And we certainly do that, including some advocacy. Uh, today, I got uh, a friend of mine who literally came, I think about two months before I came to NIST uh, MEP in New Jersey, um, Buckley Brinkman from uh, Wisconsin MEP. He's the uh, you know, director, CEO, he does everything out there. And uh, he's somebody that I've relied on quite a bit over the years as I've learned my way up. Uh, Buckley, uh, I'd certainly love to have you introduce uh, yourself and uh, the Wisconsin MEP. Uh, and then I got a question about U.S. Music Corp because I got I to gotta know more. <laughs> Well, John, thanks for the kind words. Uh, greetings from Wisconsin. It's about seven degrees here this morning. So we're, it's just the way we like it here in the middle of January. And um, I, I'm the uh, CEO of the Wisconsin Center for Manufacturing and Productivity, and we're the MEP Center for Wisconsin. And here in Wisconsin, we're also a key strategic partner with the Wisconsin Economic Development Corporation. So we work very closely with the state and helping them formulate their approach to manufacturing when it comes down to small and medium manufacturers, the place where the rubber really hits the road. So we have a great time here. We've had about $5 billion worth of impact for manufacturers that we've worked with here and uh, really enjoy what we're doing. Well, it's always good to hear about the, uh, the impacts because, uh, you know, that's something that we all are proud of. Uh, but it's also how you get there. And uh, the, the whole idea behind this show, and uh, we're calling it the Manufacturing Partnership, it's because of connections between New Jersey and Wisconsin and Wisconsin and Montana and so on. <clears throat> but I had to add another thing to that, uh, that title of the, the show. Uh, it's called uh, Making Waves because the whole idea of this is to make a positive wave across the country in regards to manufacturing. Now, Buckley, as I said, uh, you've been, I think, you know, we started somewhere around the same time, 2011, 2012. 2011. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and the one thing that I, I remember you talking to like Mike Coast from Michigan about once, and you were mentioning the, the U.S. Music Corp. And I know they were a manufacturer. And I know that I believe you were either CEO or COO, or, but uh, tell me a little bit about it so we can put some background to this industry for you. Yeah, um, U.S. Music was a guitar and amplifier company in Mundelein, Illinois. And the thing that uh, Rudy Schlocker did, who uh, owned the company, was he was the first person to really go out and um, tap into the Far Eastern market for manufacturing guitars. So what he would do is he would travel the music stores around the country, uh, talk to his friends who ran them 
um, ask him about a particular guitar, ask him how much they would pay for it, and then ask him how many they would buy. Then he would go to Japan where he actually taught uh, them how to manufacture high quality guitars. He would come back with an instrument that was better in quality, lower in price, and uh, and sell it back to the uh, to the store um, for uh, for something that was really surprising. So in a way, you know, he he, uh, he was one of the ones who who led the exodus to the to the Far East. On the other hand, we had a factory in Mundelein that uh, manufactured the high end guitars and the high end amplifiers. And it's uh, it's a really interesting industry. It's one of those places where uh, you really have to have it in your blood that you want to be in music, because if you don't think it's cool to be out at one o'clock in the morning in a club discovering the next new act so that they can promote your guitars, then you probably won't do a really good job um, selling or running a guitar company. So, yeah, but the, I love the love that stuff. I mean, I. I got my Les Paul and and so on, and I Wisconsin boy. Yeah, I know, but uh, you know, I actually met him once. But uh, it's uh, the reason why I think there's a great tie-in uh, because people people don't necessarily look at manufacturing, uh, you know, in the real world way. Let's put it that way. I mean. Uh, we've been into hundreds and hundreds of plants. So we see how things get created. I'm not sure, but even smart people sometimes think that there must be Keebler elves or something of that nature, because they don't, they don't realize that there's somebody making those guitars. You know, there's somebody making the chair that you're sitting on, you know, or or all the components that go into that vehicle. That's a, a smart car. So, you know, you look at it and New Jersey's a supply chain state. So, and we need to feed you and your manufacturers more often than vice versa, I believe, because we, we have a lot of, uh, you know, componentry work that we produce here. So there and to me is, is a great tie. Um, in a, in a quick segue, uh, uh, Buckley, uh, wanted to ask you about it. Cause I know you've been, you and I have been talking a lot about, uh, you know, manufacturing's biggest challenge uh, and and we both have the same opinion i would i would put money on that but why don't you elaborate a little bit uh, on what you think it is and and wh- what you think we need to do to to solve it well i think you started with the first part of it which is just the the whole um realizing how important manufacturing is to the to the economy uh really to be a backbone i i chuckle when I get into discussions with the tech people because they're talking about how we're going to a tech economy. I don't know about you, but I've been hearing this for 40 years now, how it was going to be a service economy, then it's going to be a tech economy, then it's going to be some smart economy. Uh, But at the end of the day, you have to have manufacturing to really push things forward. If you're going to create economic value, I'm still old school. You You have to dig it, you have to grow it, or you have to make it. And one of the things that most people in the tech side don't realize is that um, 67% of all R&D done in the United States is funded by manufacturing. So is it technology driving manufacturing or is it manufacturing driving technology? I mean, 
the technologists have a very limited platform without manufacturing. So it's critical. And I think that the, the biggest problem that we face is having trained folks who can really uh, advance with where our manufacturers are going up the evolutionary curve as operations become more and more sophisticated, more and more computer controlled and more and more linked. It's going to be important that we really have the, the cream of the crop to come into our plants, help us really uh, stay competitive with the rest of the world and move on into a very bright future. Yeah, I, I like the way you said that. I, I've seen similar numbers up to even 75% of the, the, the private R&D. And I've thought the same thing, chicken or the egg, which, which comes first. And, it, and I think that a lot of it's driven by the fact that manufacturers by nature have to solve problems. Right. You know, how do they make something, not, not only how they make something better, but how do they make it so that they can afford to make it? And, and, and that's an absolute critical thing. That's a good point. Um, you know, we talk a lot about skills gap. I mean, in this MEP, how many meetings have we had talking about that uh, skills gap, skills gap? What, what does that term mean to you? What it means to me is that, um, you know, you have a group of people over here that are relatively unskilled and you have a need over here uh, that where you need skilled people. And it's really uh, matching the people to with the right skills to the opportunities. And when when we both started this job back in the uh, end of the Great Recession, we saw a lot of that. We called it here in Wisconsin, the jobs paradox because we had really high unemployment and we had uh, really uh, a lot of open positions in manufacturing. We're facing a little bit of that again right now. Um, we're sitting at relatively high unemployment compared to where we were you know, a year and a half ago. Uh, and at the same time, we don't have those skilled people. Um, going forward, if you look at the demographics, it's going to morph into something else, which is we just aren't gonna have the people, period. Um, you know, here in Wisconsin, like most of the rest of the country, our workforce is projected to be flat for most of the next two decades. I mean, we can't manufacture an 18-year-old to go to work on the line, right? So those numbers are already cast. So we're going to have to not only uh, up our game on the skills side, but up our game on the operations side to where we're getting more produ productivity from every person that we engage in the plant. Yeah, well, that's a good point. You know, I mean, the the new terminology, Industry 4.0, but, you know, I mean, we've been looking to automate plants, you know, since I entered this uh, industry back in the 70s, you know, uh, CNC machines, you know, uh, you know, I started with learning about tape machines and, you know, now you talk into them and they do what you need to do. So there's some interesting things. The point, you know, what, one of the problems I see in New Jersey, and I don't know if it's the same in Wisconsin, is that there's still that stigma, if you will, uh, over what uh, what working in manufacturing. And, and I think that, that that comes along with some of the other stuff we spoke about. Uh, you know, I was looking at the National Association of Manufacturing state report in New Jersey and said the average worker annual wage which I assume includes overtime, but overtime is wage. Right. right. 
is is almost ninety four thousand dollars a year in manufacturing in New Jersey. That's a pretty damn good wage. Uh, and you know the fact is is that if you can come out and develop that career, if you get ex- absorbed into an apprenticeship or whatever, you you earn while you learn. There's a lot of good things, but it's it's a hard sell still. And yeah. so you know when you got a young kid coming out of school and they're going to get a, a degree that doesn't pay them much, or they're coming out of the the military. A lot of them are going and they're working, they're going into security, but until you reach higher levels of security, it's, it's not a, uh, not a big wage earner. How do we talk them into coming over to us? Do you, do you see that as something that you guys are doing and doing well? Yeah, I think it's one of the places where uh, the the state overall really got focused on it. I, I think what's one of the things that's really unique about Wisconsin is that um, you know, our technical colleges, our government, industry, and, and some of the non-government organizations that we have throughout the state really came together uh, to say, how do, we, how do we improve this? And how do we say, hey, maybe a four-year degree isn't for everyone. I mean, I don't know how it was where you grew up, John, but where I grew up here in Madison, uh, coming out of high school, it was really clear that we were expected to have a four-year degree, that the four-year degree 50 years ago was going to be the same as a high school diploma. Well, something funny happened along the way. The numbers never changed. You know, it's still, a, just like it was 40 years ago, a third of the workforce requires a four-year degree or more, a third of the workforce requires a high school diploma or less, and a third of the workforce is somewhere in the middle. Now, there's a big change. One is that you can no longer uh, expect to support your family with a strong back and a good alarm clock. You, know, you need something beyond high school uh, to move into, uh, into a higher paying job. But the thing that I'm finding, I don't know how you were when you were 18 years old. I wasn't real clear on what I wanted to do the rest of my life. So what we should be doing with folks who are, you know, for, the, for students who are coming out of high school, or students who are really in high school is keeping the doors open. And one of the things that manufacturing does is you, know, you can be earning a good wage. If you're a good employee, employee and working for a good employer, most of the time they will fund um, your continuing education and you still haven't shut any doors to getting that four-year degree or doing something entirely different. So I think we've done a we've done a fairly good job of communicating that message across the state, and the educators have have stepped away from where they were seven or eight years ago when they would say, "Sure, we'll give you job skills. Uh, tell us what you need to be trained. Uh, guarantee us that we're going to have students. Guarantee that you're going to hire them when they come out of the tech college, and then give us two years to build a curriculum." Well. You know that was kind of, that was very unrealistic, and and to their credit, you know they moved quickly to uh, to multiple boot camp models that enabled people to get to a teachable fit. At the same time, manufacturers said, "Okay, I can't expect a tailor-made uh, welder with five years of experience to show up on my doorstep automatically." So I think what we did well in Wisconsin was bring those two sides together. And government did a nice job in in financing that and um, 
you know, making some other structures like apprenticeships much more easy to implement. I, I love to hear that because you know my opinion about workforce development and, and we've been working along the same lines. It's been a little slower because academia, you know, in New Jersey, uh, sometimes wants to know, believe everybody that they know all and, and they know a hell of a lot, but they don't know how to get people to, to work. So I love that. Funny of you said, uh, I grew up in Madison, New Jersey. I still live in Madison, New Jersey. So, so we grew up in the same town. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, my, my dad was a World War II vet, so he wanted me to go to college. He wanted all of his kids to go to college. Um, you know, I, uh, he, unfortunately, he passed away suddenly when I was 17, so I had to figure out how to get to college. Yeah. So that's why I love baseball, because that helped pay for it. But also, uh, what was great about it is that I, had an, I was in an apprenticeship program for electrician, and that helped pay for my college. So... <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm old school too, but I think that this is a, the model adapted for now, changed for now, uh, can really work. Stackable credits, you know, so that, you know, some of the programs that we have developed here are shorter in length, a year, a year and a half. Uh, but also, they earn college credits that can be used towards a degree because you're 100% right. We didn't know what the hell we really wanted to do at age 18 or maybe at 22 or maybe at 30, but uh, maybe at 50, you know, yeah, I'm still trying to figure it the hell out. I, you know, I keep looking at that Robin Young picture and say, well, why wasn't that me? You know, I mean, I was, yeah, <laughs> but I, I think you're a hundred percent correct in that thing. And I'm glad to see Wisconsin moving in that direction. And it's something I, you know, conversations outside of this are where we can learn learn from from that uh, you know and to me that's the biggest asset that we have with this national network and MAP is that I have no problem calling you up and saying what the hell Buckley? what are you doing we're not doing this right and that's an advantage that no other program in my opinion has uh, you know in the federal government uh, at all um, what do you think? Well, I think that, I mean, I think you you hit the nail right on the thumb, right? You know, we have, uh, we have 51 centers across the country. And when I was a single shingle, one of the things I always worried about was, you know, what if I go in and mess up somebody's business? Well, <laughs> yeah. well here, you know, if one of my, if one of my specialists is in a manufacturer and they, they run into a problem that they haven't seen before, you know, they've got 50 other people here in Wisconsin that they can pick their brains. If they don't know that, I've got 50 other centers that I can pick their brains. If, if we all collectively don't have the answer, then we have the national labs that we can go to. And if they don't know the answer, then we have a case study, right? Then we can go back and, and figure this out. I think one of the places where practically this came out as being really valuable is even as loosely organized as we were, the, the impact that we made on personal protective equipment during the early days of the oh, pandemic. 100%. I mean, with everybody scrambling around, I'm you were one of the, the leaders coming out from uh, one of the really hard hit areas. And 
you know, the tentacles that stretched out enabled me to be a lot more effective with my state response here because I could tap into the textile makers in South Carolina who were able to saw, I was able to tap into the expertise that you were developing every day. Tom Bugnitz in Colorado got his arms around what you needed to do to have a fully certified medical mask very quickly. You in Washington provided a lot of the safety guidelines for, uh, for how we responded to opening uh, backup businesses here. So I think even with that, that um, even with the loose organization that we had, that power of being able to go across the country and find what we needed in that moment very quickly was important. And I think that's going to be even more important as we go forward, because I think we're not as good as we are. You know, the, one of the strengths we had during the PPE, we were able to reach outside and find expertise. And I think as we develop that talent and are able to engage people from across the, the ecosystem, we're going to be able to have an impact on manufacturing that's profound for the next 20 years. I, I, I agree 100%. And, and to be honest with you, the, there were some dark days. We're just hearing from people like you and Tom and Mike and, and Bonnie up in Connecticut and so on. Just getting feedback from you guys you know, helped us keep our heads up because uh, there was some really crappy days uh, yeah. for a while and, uh, and hopefully we're moving away from that. Uh, Buckley, I want I want to, you know, end up uh, with what I'm calling the fast five. I got fast five questions. You know, I got to, you know, I got to, Mike got to be a game show host or something. So uh, these are five questions and, and I... <laughs> I will give you no commentary. I put them together because I thought it'd be a great way to ask every center director that that jumps on with us. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, I just want your feelings because these are a lot of questions that get asked of me by people in government in New Jersey, teachers, et cetera. So yep. here we go. Buckley's Fast Five. Is manufacturing in the USA dead? Oh my God, no! Oh, jeez! <laughs> I, I I I react that way because we're still uh, one of the leading manufacturing countries in the in the world, and Deloitte has even ranked us as the number two platform in the world. I mean, uh, yep. with the with our relative labor costs, considering our productivity, the low cost of fuel, and the proximity to the world's largest market. Oh my God, no! Good enough. Uh, here's question number two. Do you think our economy can exist and thrive without manufacturing? Absolutely not. Um, it's really interesting right now when you see where the wealth is concentrated uh, on the coasts and what's happened to the center of the country that, um, that has got, has no longer has manufacturing. And the technology guys are always telling you, look, it'll be fine, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. Uh, even if it's out here, uh, we'll be okay. Now, they, they haven't had cost limitations, but if they did, there's nothing saying that they would move this back into other parts of the US. Why wouldn't they go to Singapore or Israel or somewhere else where the cost base is going to be lower? So one of the critical parts of manufacturing is making sure 
that were anchoring those investments right here in, in uh, North America. Okay. Number three, I sort of had to piece this together because it gets asked of me a lot. Uh, why can't we con convince our respective governments to better support this critical industry? Um, yeah, that's a complicated answer. I think I, we're, we're in a little different place here because manufacturing, we're one of two states where manufacturing is the largest contributor to the uh, gross state product. Uh, Indiana is the other one. So we have a little bit different perspective there. But the other piece about this is supporting modern manufacturing is really complicated and really hard. Uh, just leaving it to market forces doesn't provide the doesn't provide the inflow of innovation and resources that are needed to constantly stay competitive. Uh, and at the same time, uh, it's it's something that requires a lot more cooperation and collaboration than than right now we're able to accomplish on any level. Okay, that's a good point. Spoken like a Harvard MBA, I think. Uh, oh, geez, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> number four, uh, outside of workforce development, what's the number one issue for manufacturing companies to overcome? Yeah, our number one issue here is productivity. I mean, that's what we're develop we're devoting an an unfair share of time to, just because it 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 touches so many other things. I mean, what we're finding, I'm sure you're finding it too, is you got to have that base first. You got to know what you're doing in terms of your processes and all the classic lean implementations. But then you have to be, you know, aggressively implementing technology and engaging your workforce in the things that are going on, which then, of course, opens you up to a whole spectrum of other issues, you know, whether it's uh, site, the cybersecurity or all mm -hmm. the issues around diversity, equity, and inclusion, or sustainability, just things that you end up touching against if you're really pushing the frontier. Yeah, I like I like the way you tied in cyber and diversity, and so that's good, I like it. Uh, I said I wasn't gonna judge, so I gotta shut up. Uh, <laughs> that wouldn't be one, you, John. The last one comes from, a lot from my staff. Um, are we gaining ground? Meaning, I would assume, our, is, is our industry and our work gaining ground? I think we are in pockets. Uh, I think the leading manufacturers are as competitive as anyone in the world. Uh, my concern, especially with this pandemic, is the, is the tail end again. You know, if, you're, if, if you were not looking forward before this pandemic, what's happened to you now, we're seeing it in the numbers that we're collecting it. Somewhere between 10 and 20% of our manufacturers here in the state are under some pretty severe stress because they're both having to figure out um, where they're going to get cash from to keep operations going. And they know they have to invest in, in the future. And doing one of those at a time is hard. Doing them both is near impossible. Uh, but I think we're going to have to be much more creative as we go forward and much less dogmatic about how we support manufacturers and manufacturing uh, to come to a, a place where we're absolutely thriving and competitive with anything that's going on in the world. 
Thank you. I appreciate that. And I also I like the way you talk about manufacturers and manufacturing because they are two different things. There's a whole industry and manufacture the people who make stuff are just part of that. So that's uh, that's a good point. Uh, uh, well, I want to end up and, and thank Buckley Brinkman. He's the CEO of the Wisconsin MEP. And uh, this is the first episode of it, hopefully at least 51. Um, you know, <laughs> as we talk. Thanks for making me your first, Don. Well, you know, I had a choice and you were it, man. <laughs> but this is, uh, thanks, Buckley. I do appreciate it. And uh, this has been the Manufacturing Partnership making waves. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.